Welcome to this episode of Want to Hear Something Interesting, a podcast where your hosts Scott Ahern and Chad Knight discuss a topic using research and personal opinion. The topics will be wide and varied, but approached with the researcher's eye. Will everything we say be 100% accurate? Probably not, but we are striving to be as accurate as we can be. Every month on the 1st, a new topic will come your way. Occasionally, though not usually, there may be some language of the adult variety. Listener, be warned. Now, here are your hosts, Scott and Chad. Hello, and welcome to episode one of Want to Hear Something Interesting? I'm one of your hosts, Chad Knight, and along with me, we have our other host, Scott Ahern. And tonight, I want to talk just a little bit about what we're going to be doing here. We're going to pick a topic once a month. We're going to do our research. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk to you about it. So with that in mind, tonight we're going to start somewhere in the middle of, you know, uh, reality and the afterlife. So we're going to talk ghost and ghost hunting tonight. I think uh, I think what we should do is we should start off by just letting you guys know where we sit on these uh, on this topic personally. And I'm gonna let Scott go first. So if you wanna tell us all what you uh, what you think, how you feel. Okay. Well, as you know, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. We have lots of very old buildings, great historic battle sites, and even not so much battle sites like, for example, the Boston Massacre. Uh, lots of bloodshed, lots of death in the area and has been for several hundred years. I was going to say a lot of time to to do that stuff. Exactly. So for me, based on growing up in that environment and things that I've seen with my own eyes and felt with my own goosebumps, I tend to lean towards the side that yes, ghosts exist. I'm not sure what they are and I don't think there's as much out there as we hear people saying. There are, I'm kind of, on, I'd say I'd describe myself as I believe, but I look to verify. That's what about a, you? I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I grew up in central Wisconsin. I still live in central Wisconsin, but I have run across things that I can't explain. I have felt and heard things um, that I can't explain. So I guess the best way to, expo- to, to s- express how I look at it is I am a believing leaning skeptic does that make sense to you it does but then i know you so if i'm understanding you correctly you feel that there is something out there that you don't understand completely correct but you're not willing to accept wholeheartedly the conventional belief of oh it's ghosts it's the spirits of the departed you want to understand what it is regardless of what it is right Exactly. Okay. And if would it be cool if it ended up being spirits of people that have gone before you? Yes. Would it be cool if we find out they're all demons? No! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with that in mind, uh, let's jump into this. Let's talk about ghosts and ghost hunting. Okay. And, and how they have an impact uh, on the world. You know, as far as ghost hunting shows, do you watch any of them? Do you know any of them? I used to be a huge fan of the Sci-Fi Channel series Ghost Hunters. Okay. Based out of Rhode Island with the, Jay and Greg. Yeah, Jay and Grant. Um, Grant, that's right. Uh, Jason Hawes, Grant Wilson. That's actually one of them I have on my list here. I still watch them. I am slowly building my library of Ghost Hunters um, stuff. You know, uh, and Jason and Grant started TAPS, as they call themselves, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, Society. after each of them had their own experience but separate experiences 
And they wanted to get to the bottom of, you know, what was going on. It's now in its 11th season. It's Probably, no long, yeah. It's no longer on sci-fi. I think it's on Discovery Channel now, or Discovery Channel, or whatever they call that. So I'm slowly building up. I think I own through, like, halfway through season four or something like that, because every season comes in two sets, of course, because <laughs> they can't just give you a season, you know? Hey, got to maximize profits. Yeah, exactly. I like... I like what they, the way, their methodology. I like their methodology. They never go into a place expecting it to be haunted. They go into a place going, okay, this is what people believe are going is happening. This is uh, what they believe, you know, is going on around them. Now we need to figure out what naturally causes that to put these people's minds at rest. Uh, Jason's very well known for saying, you take everything you, you're given. You investigate everything, and everything you can disprove, you can throw away. Everything that's left that you can't explain is evidence. Not saying it's a ghost, but it's evidence. Right. Well, it's kind of based on the old philosophy that first came to popularity, I believe, through Sherlock, the stories of Sherlock Holmes, which is if you eliminate the impossible, whatever is left, however improbable, is what you have. Exactly. And, and I think that's exactly it. Now, we're going to talk about a couple ghost shows, and, and I picked two that are different ends of the spectrum. The other one I, I, I watch, and I enjoy from the point of it's fun to watch, but it's obvious that not as much is going on. I mean, this, we're in Ghost Hunters. You know, they have episodes sometimes. They go through, and they find nothing. Right. There's nothing. There's no EVPs. There's no... There's no images, there's no heat hits, there's just nothing. It just There's nothing there. Now, this other show called Ghost Adventures, and I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I believe I've caught bits and pieces of it, and I know you've mentioned it from time to time. Is sensationalism over the top. They go, Every place they go is haunted with a hundred spirits. Every place they go, the ghosts are after them. You know, it's just, I watch it uh, from, the, from the standpoint of, I've been out there ghost hunting, and if every time I was somewhere and I was ghost hunting, that happened, I would have stopped a long time before I did, you know, and and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, sometimes I think just putting yourself in that situation gets the mind going, the subconscious going, and I think that can cause you to feel or see things, you know, because you're walking around in the dark, all you need is a, a, a split you know, the shadow to move slightly or something like that. Oh my God, what was that? You know, and your mind's already telling you what it is, even though, you know, logically you're going, what is that? Your subconscious, your your lizard brain's going, something's here to get me. It's interesting that you should mention the environment kind of predisposing you towards seeing something or believing something is there. You're about my age. Apart from the Friday the 13th series, yes. what would you say was probably the scariest movie series in the 80s, into the early 90s? Oh, for me personally, I think that had to be A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, I would agree with you. And that of was course, terrifying. Yes. Now, I went to Ripon College okay. here in, in Ripon, Wisconsin, down over a little east of Wausau towards Fond du Lac. There is a cemetery in the middle of campus that you have to walk past to get to the cafeteria. where Of the, course the there are. is. Yes. The interesting part is that it's on the corner of Elm Street. <laughs> and when freshmen come to campus and there are prospective students come to campus and they're given a tour, they're always brought by the gravestone of young Frederick Krueger. 
Are you serious? I am completely serious. On it is Elm Street. Actually, <laughs> on the cemetery on the corner of Elm Street, there is a Frederick Krueger gravestone from, I believe, either the late 1800s or early 1900s. Wow. So it has absolutely nothing, nothing to right. do with the story. But because of that element that's built into the, the general social consciousness, right. it's very easy for, and especially back when I was going there in the late 80s and early 90s, the streets were still a little underdeveloped because it was the middle of a campus. It was still heavily wooded. There weren't street lights at night. In the winter months, if you're leaving the cafeteria after dinner, it's already pitch blackout. And one of the residence halls was on the other side of the cemetery that you could either walk a huge out and around to get to or, or take the path through the cemetery. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'd have been getting a lot of exercise. <laughs> Even though, you know... Now, I saw my first... The, the, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, I think I was about 10 years old. I was at a friend's house, and they're like, let's watch this. And I'm like, no, because I was always one... I was never big... And I'm still not big into horror, you know, horror flicks. Right. They kept they kept going, no, let's watch it, let's watch it. And finally, I'm like, fine. Figuring I'll watch through my fingers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I watch everything scary. Because that helps so much. It does, because <laughs> the bad guy can't get you then. Okay. You know, it's just like when you tuck your feet in under your covers, it's because the monster under the bed can't get you then. It's kid logic. Yes. I remember sitting there and watching this movie and just being terrified. And by the end of that movie, I was sobbing. I was so scared. I was just crying and just sobbing. I didn't sleep at night for like two days. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure if you had a tree outside your window, anytime the wind blew and it scratched the tree exactly. branches across the window, your brain fills in that, oh, it's this scary thing. Yeah. Mine was a little different. We actually had a, a tree on the end of the house. Okay. And it would scrape on the roof. roof. Yeah. So it was just as bad. Yes. What is it, though? What is it about ghosts that persist? Because we all do it. You've got a daughter. I've got two daughters. And I'm sure at some point in your life you said, ghosts aren't real, right? Has she ever asked that question? Actually, no, she hasn't. Okay. Which is odd. Maybe a little unusual. I think part of it has to do with the fact that she's really not experienced the loss of a close loved one that she'd be asking about. Now, for example, my dad passed away when my daughter was six months old. Right. So she has some memories of him, but she never really put the the two together. He, He wasn't a fixture in her life, and then he's not there anymore where she needs to fill in the gap. And I think to a certain extent that's why... Ghosts have persisted as long as they have and as pervasively as they had because for some people it's probably a little bit of wish fulfillment that their loved one wasn't gone. They, they want to believe that there's still some connection there. There's some transition or there's some way for them to come at least partially back to provide the reassurance that they used to provide in life. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Now, this kind of lends itself to a quick and dirty discussion about religion. Okay. All right, so I'm Roman Catholic. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I know you're I know you're not. Um, I know I you used were, to be. You were raised Roman Catholic. Yes, I was. I was baptized. I was an altar boy and everything. So throughout our entire, you know, as as you're growing through the Catholic Church, they tell you about ghosts. They don't one, call. one in particular, yes. depending on which division within the church, whether they call it the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the, or the Father, Son, and the Holy, Holy Ghost. Ghost, 
or 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 yeah, you know, and and so you're told about this this ghost all the time. Right. But then you go home and you go, "Mom, ghost." And she goes, "Nope, ghosts aren't real." I think it's just a it's between that and the fact that, you know, as a kid you watch things like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yep. Um, you know, and you see all these things and as you age, your your tastes get more mature and then you start watching Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, there's a good one. You know, and you work up through cartoons into movies and then depending on what your tastes are, I, I think it's pervasive in in what we do, um, partially because of religion. Right now, you're not religious at all, correct? Pretty much. Okay. I, if I were pinned down, someone would probably describe me as an agnostic with deistic leaning, in that I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but I'm not convinced enough to be an atheist. So so when the, when the moment calls, you still turn that... Turn that thought to something greater. Yes. Okay. Although, as one of my uh, favorite authors um, used to write about, when he, he's talking about dwarves, okay, he, he says that uh, dwarves are deeply religious because it takes a very strong-minded atheist to smack your thumb with a hammer and not swear. I'm not sure I follow that, but okay, I, mm-hmm. I, I get the gist of it. With, with that thought in mind, I think... Ghosts in general have been pervasive uh, around um, the world. I mean, every every group of people have their stories of ghosts. Yes. Some are good, some are bad, some are, you know, ancestors, some are demons, some are angels, you know, whatever you want to call them. And I think it's pervasive because as much as we sit and tell our children, no, 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 in the back of our heads as, as adults, we go, maybe, you know. And I've got two girls, and I've got one of both opinions. My one, my oldest daughter says, nope, nope, nope. And my youngest daughter goes, you know, it makes sense, you know, and this is why it makes sense. And she could tell it a whole lot nicer than I could, so we're not going to go there. But, you know, and I guess it might have something to do with the environment people grow up in, too. Like, your daughter, I'm sure you guys don't sit around and watching a lot of ghost stories and telling ghost stories and that kind of stuff. Nope. See, where my girls have grown up watching me watch Ghost Hunters and ghost adventures, and anything else I can find on TV that has to do with ghosts and aliens and UFOs. and It all started as a, as a thought of conspiracy theories. You know, that's where it all starts from. Okay. So, you know, you start looking at these uh, conspiracy theories, and then, you know, they, that leads easily into aliens. Okay. And then from aliens, you start hearing about other things, and then you start looking at other things that are, I guess the best word is pseudosciences. Okay. And that's what led me to ghosts, along with a few things that I've, I've witnessed throughout my life, which we'll talk about those things later. Okay. Now, when you say pseudoscience, yes. are you talking about things that used to be considered science, like alchemy and astrology? Or are you thinking more along the lines of people dressing con artists up in scientific jargon and trying to make the public believe in them yes the 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 second where a lot of people a lot of people think that these shows are just uh pseudo pseudoscience that are just trying to you know make a buck okay and trying to for whatever their evil intentions are make you believe there's ghosts kind of like the modern infotainment version of the snake oil sellers yeah okay yeah exactly you know, yeah, exactly. Snake oil. Buy this, it'll grow hair. And by the time you figure out it's not going to be, I'm going to be four towns over and you're not going to chase me down. Right. Um, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, I kind of get that feel 
Um, going back to the shows here, I kind of get that feel from Ghost Adventures. They're out to make a buck. It's it's more of a show right. than actual investigation. Where with Ghost Hunters, and I think it's because of their methodology, the way they do things, makes me think maybe there's something there. You know, Maybe it's not just all bells and whistles. Because um, the things I have noticed, uh, the difference is Ghost Adventures. No, we don't fake anything. We don't, we don't make anything, you know, for TV. We just, it's what happens. Okay. Ghost Hunters has said, you know, yeah, we've had these personal experiences or we've had this stuff on tape or whatever and it's gotten lost and we have recreated them, you know, and they will tell you that versus going, nope, everything you see is legit. They don't, they, they claim not to make anything up to, you know, make the show better or whatever. It's just to replace something that happened. Right. They're not inventing evidence. Right. Well, in theory. Right. <laughs> so, well, here's something that will lighten the mood a little bit here. So, I went out on Google today and I said, what do I need to be a ghost hunter? And I hit the enter and the first thing that came up was five steps from wiki how to do anything. How to be a ghost hunter. So I thought they were cute. They, they had these nice little pictures that I'm not going to go through. I'm going to go through the five steps. So step number one is try to find a partner slash partners. And they say you would want to get some backup with equipment while having extra eyewitness accounts if anything supernatural occurs. Uh, step two is obtain basic ghost hunting equipment. Um, such as, and I'm not going to read the full descriptions, but a camera, a 5 megapixel camera or better is a good one to have because the better the resolution, the more details you get. A digital recorder. This is needed to record um, electrical or EVPs, electrical voice phenomena. You know, and they tell you different manufacturers. They tell you they range from $30 to, you know, hundreds of dollars. And then they say, uh, not everything in a ghost, I like this one, not everything in a ghost hunter's arsenal is high tech or requires battery. A simple pen and paper are just as important on any investigation. Keep notes about the readings of your other equipment, your experiences, and even your feelings. And that strikes me because we're both pen and paper gamers. Right. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I get that one. That one makes sense. It says get a small but powerful flashlight. And now in the days of LED flashlights, that's pretty easy. It says if you have rechargeable batteries, you should get make sure they're fully charged and actually have extras because... You know, ghosts suck battery life. Meters for detecting electromagnetic fields. So an EMF reader, a K2 reader. It says uh, use a thermal uh, scanner to detect cold spots. So basically what they're saying is a point and click. Laser thermometer. Laser thermometer, thank you. Get a motion detector because for some reason you can pick up ghost motion on motion detectors. And always have first aid on hand because you never know when you're going to fall through the floor. Well, it doesn't say that, but... I mean, if you look at the places that some people go to hunt ghosts, just from a safety position, I'd be like, no. <laughs> and then, number three, this one's actually kind of funny. Find a haunted location. Really? I was going to go down to the neighbor's house? Just be like, I'm looking for ghosts. It says, though, it does give good advice that if you if you do, if you are a ghost hunter or you want to be a ghost hunter, get permission before going anywhere, because if you don't, they can lock you up for trespassing. It says visit the location and investigate, take pictures, make recordings, take notes about anything unusual. It says to get as much information as you can about the uh, location because uh, it will help identify if anyone identify anyone if a face, body, or both appears in the pictures. So there's that. And then it finally says just compare your notes and your experiences with uh, with your partners online or with other ghost hunters to see if they can relate. 
which is something good to do, actually. So I just thought that was a cute little thing um, as far as what you need to be a ghost hunter. So that's why I brought that up. So Now, I'm going to get a little more in-depth at this point, Scott, if you don't mind, on what the actual equipment is that, sure. that ghost hunters use. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about them. Now, I've used most of these. Um, except the last two that I will talk about, but I've seen those used. So, uh, EVP recorder. Uh, this is where you sit down or you stand or whatever. You flip on a little digital recorder and you ask questions in the hopes that someone's going to answer you. Okay. Now, why is having the recorder important? If you're asking questions. That's a good question, actually, and something I should talk about here. Because an EVP, the, the recorders have a wider range of picking things up than what we can hear with the human ear. Okay. It is uh, some ghost hunters and people believe that when a ghost talks, a lot of times it will be in the ranges that we cannot hear. So these recorders pick it up. Now, there's a difference between an electronic voice phenomenon and a voice phenomenon. The difference being that if it's caught electrically or electronically and you don't hear it at the time, then it's an electronic voice phenomenon. If you catch it electrically, you hear it at the time, you react to it, that's just a voice phenomenon. Okay. Now, I, I have been witness to EVPs. I have never heard a voice phenomenon, which is probably good because I'm a big guy, but I'm pretty sure, I, you know, the Scooby-Doo outline when they take off, you know, the pew, and there's the outline in, in dust. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's what would happen. Okay. Now, with this increased frequency range or bandwidth. Yes. Do you think maybe that has something to do with the um, folklore or general belief that dogs and other animals are sensitive to the presence of ghosts that maybe because we we all know that dogs hear at a wider range of frequencies than humans do. Right. Do you think it's maybe they can hear in that range and that might be part of it? It's quite possible. I have read quite a bit on animals interacting with on-scene forces, for lack of a better word. You know, you'll get dogs that um, normally are quiet, subdued dogs, and then, you know, once every three weeks or something, they sit in the basement, they look in the corner, and they bark, 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 with no explanation. Cats. Cats, I don't know. People say, oh, my cat sits and stares. Well, you know what? My cat sits and stares at the wall for an hour at a time. It's a cat. Is it possible that cat, cats do have a wider range of hearing? They, I actually think they have a wider range of hearing than dogs do. But is it possible they're seeing stuff? Yes, but you know what? Most cats, I don't think they'd care. True. <laughs> it's not feeding them. It's not feeding them. It's not hurting them. Mm -hmm. And it's not petting them. Right. If you're not doing one of those three things to my cat, she doesn't care. She just doesn't care. But yes, I think that could be tied into, um, you know, sensitivity of animals and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of times you'll hear about different places, like especially old abandoned graveyards. You know, there's always, there's always, especially in the, in the North, uh, yeah, the Northeast. So, you know, Maine, um, Massachusetts, places like that, where they always talk about these old abandoned, you know, either family graveyards or just graveyards that have gone out of use because they filled up and then... Right. All the people that used to go see the people that were buried there are buried somewhere else kind of thing. And how people go into these, you know, and they'll go in and there's just, there's no animals. There's no animal life within the graveyard. And these tend to be ones that are labeled as haunted. Is it something that animals, you know, see better than we do? Possibly. There's also a theory out there that kids, invisible friends, things like that, might actually be ghosts. Because the kids have not yet been taught to not see them. You know what I'm saying? Right. They, they don't have the socially acceptable filters 
that you learn as you're growing up. Right. Yeah, I think so. But um, EVPs are kind of creepy because they're usually in a very low register. And when you play them back, no matter what they say, they usually sound creepy as hell. And you mean like it's down here? Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, 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 and you can tell, you know, when you listen to a voice, even if it's low and gravelly, you always get a feeling, or at least I do, of whether it's male or female. And when we talk about personal experiences, I'll, I'll get into to one where I was actually on a ghost hunt, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, there are people that say it's just random wash of random sounds and static and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there are people that are like, you just want to hear something, so you place it there. If you tell somebody, listen to this, you're going to hear this too, then they're going to hear it kind right. of thing. Like a almost... For lack of a better word, almost like a mass hysteria. Yes. Well, actually, that's one of the reasons why in with police departments, when they're interviewing witnesses, one of the cardinal rules is don't let the witnesses talk to each other. Right. Because once they start comparing stories, all of a sudden everybody saw the exact same thing. And it's usually a mashup of, of what's the real. individual components right all right so that's evps uh next up um emf or or k2 meter they're both emf meters they both work on different levels there's a single um okay now what does emf stand for electromagnetic field okay all right so there's a tri meter which does three different versions of the same thing and that's what you'd call your k2 Okay. And an EMF meter is just your standard. You can walk around. You can get the background electromagnetic field. Now, what would cause the background electromagnetic field? Everything. Your electricity in your house, your your wiring gives off EMF. Lights, even if they're not turned on, can give off EMF. If you have... I've seen where we got a reading one time of almost 100 off a turned-off radio because it wasn't shielded in any way. So it's just a matter of anything that has electricity going into it. So if you don't want electricity going through, let's say, your lamp, you want to rule that out, you have to unplug it. Because if you leave it plugged in, there's still that residual electricity. Right, because it's connected to the source of power. So there's still current going up to the switch. Right. And even if you turn off all the lights in your house, unless you flip the big breaker box, which is going to ruin a lot of your stuff, you're going to have this residual uh, magnetic field. Even where there is no electricity, even out in nature, if you're just walking with an EMF meter, you're going to, at times, have random fluctuations. And you're going to have a base. of Usually base in nature is somewhere between a quarter and a half milligauss. Okay. In a house, it's usually somewhere between 1 and 3 milligauss will be your base. So if you see fluctuations from that or fluctuations in accordance with something else, like uh, a big one is cold spots. You know, if you you, you feel a cold spot. Well, of course, my entire basement's a cold spot. But you feel a cold spot, you take your EMF and you stick it in that cold spot and it spikes. That brings about the fact that there is something in the field that is not normal. Now, do you call it a ghost? Do you call it a spirit? We don't know. Um, those are the kind of things when you don't have physical evidence, you don't, you didn't have anybody talking to you. You didn't have, you know, you didn't take a, a picture and there's a outline or something, you know, you don't have anything like that. You can't really, I mean, and, and I think that's the big thing that, um, a lot of, especially beginning ghost hunters do. They go out and they're like, we felt cold spots. We got spikes. We had ghosts. Not necessarily. 
Right. All you can definitively say is we felt this cold spot, we put the laser thermometer on it, and it registered this temperature, and when we stuck the EMF meter in it, it did this. Right. So as, as long as you stick to the specific empirical observable data, the right. observable evidence that is not conjecture in any way. See, and I don't like, personally, every ghost hunt I've been on, Yes, you use an EMF. I don't like them as being reliable. One of the very first, and I'm going to tell a little story here, but one of the very first ghost hunts I went on was actually at the uh, Marathon County in their uh, student dorms. Okay. There's there's a report, or there's a couple of them, but the big one is called the Blue Cowboy. And supposedly he comes out of this room, dressed as a cowboy, walks down the hall, disappears. Okay. Another one is in one of the ladies' bathrooms. There's uh, somebody that'll appear and they have this long black hair and they just kind of look at you. And that same spirit will appear in different rooms throughout just looking down at you when you wake up. So those are what we went in to investigate. As I'm going down the hallway of the the rooms with where the uh, blue cowboy is supposed to be. So we started at the room where the blue cowboy was supposed to be. We got nothing. You know, we're going through and as we're going along, all of a sudden I, I walk into this one room and the EMF meter spikes to like six, seven, you know, just huge spike from the one and a half we were getting. And it sat there. And I was with somebody else and I said, look at this. And he looked at it and he goes, that's really weird. And I said, and you know, I was new too. I'm like, what does this mean? He goes, well, let's go around the room. You know, we're going around the room and it's popping and it's getting higher. And the closer we get to the window, it's getting higher and higher. And we get to that window and we look outside and he goes, look. And I look outside and there is a electrical cor- electrical cable about the size of a small frying pan coming into this building. Okay. That's what was spiking it. So, you know, anybody, especially on that end of the dorm, anybody that's sleeping in those rooms, if they're sensitive to electrical magnetic at all, they're going to get messed up. You know, it's just going to be... Now, that reminds me of something I saw in several episodes of Ghost Hunters. It was something they talked about called a fear cage. A fear cage, yep. I live in one. (laughs) (laughs) We're sitting in one, We are sitting in one. Um, We've got the, uh, you know, we got the um, breaker box over there. Mm-hmm. Everything's running out. Um, from what I can tell, now we don't have anything like Romex or anything in here, but we've got unshielded cables that run to all over the house. So technically, this could be considered a, a, a fear cage, but I wouldn't say it is because I've never had an experience in my basement. And I spend a lot of time down here between gaming and... Uh, podcasting and writing and just you know everything i do i spend a lot of time in my basement at my little table here so does that mean i shouldn't say it's not a fear cage what that means is i'm most likely not sensitive to emf now if somebody else that was sensitive to it like you know came down here and just sat by themselves possibly i mean there's a lot there's a lot of crap running through here yes i mean we have multiple lights we have the the overhead fluorescent we have all the cables to run Mm -hmm. to the rest of the house and they're they're in like two big bundles that run, so I mean it's 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 those things that yeah if we brought an EMF meter down here in this area it would be big. So that's EMF meters. That's what they do. Next is full spectrum cameras. Uh, full spectrum cameras capture visible and near infrared light. Okay. Theory with this is if you're snapping that and there is a an entity that wants or is in the process of 
revealing itself, you will capture that in this full spectrum, okay? I've had very limited use of this, but I've, I've done it a time or two. We've never caught, I've never seen anything in it, but uh, I, I get the theory. I know what it's supposed to do, and it makes sense. You know, if you take a picture, you take, let's say, a full spectrum picture of a city from above, you're going to see where the heat is you're going to see where you have a lot of smoke or you know pollution in the air that's all going to come out because it's all in different spectrums so even if we're on the ground and it's clear like um let's say it's summer so everything coming out of the back of the car you don't see it but it's still going to show up on this full spectrum so it does it does in theory take pictures of things that aren't there now I remember reading about and hearing about a number of years ago that there was this phenomenon called Curlian photography. Okay. And it was purported to have captured the images of ghosts or other things. Now, what you're talking about isn't that. No. What you're talking about is something that is taking reliable, repeatable, scientifically founded procedures and equipment and basically just rendering spectrum that are spectra that are outside what our eyes can normally pick up and translating it into something that we can see right okay. right yeah and i'm not overly for familiar with carillion photography but it looks like it's some sort of a contact photography where basically you take a picture of something and it leaves an image because of the amount of, of high voltage that's created with it Mm -hmm. And I think part of what used to make people think that ghosts were involved was that kind of along with the theory that the reason you get a cold spot is because the ghost is drawing the heat energy out of the air that maybe the ghosts are somehow electrically charged, which would set off the EMF meter. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's full spectrum. Uh, The next thing I'm going to talk about is the FLIR thermal cameras. Yeah, if you've watched if you've watched any ghost show, you've seen these. Well, not even ghost shows. Um, Josh Gates's old show, Destination Truth. Oh yeah, he did it on Destination Truth yeah, all the time. He loved that thing. And basically, what that does is it just picks up radiant heat. So if you point it at a wall, you should it should be the same heat the entire the wall, you know. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then what's causing that? And then does you know like I've seen them where. The uh, ghost hunters, and I don't remember exactly where in New Jersey, but they were at some fort in New Jersey that was supposedly haunted. And they're walking down this 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 uh, rampart, and they're shooting this this thing in front of them. And all of a sudden, a entire like form crosses in front of them. I think I've seen that one. Now they didn't go right away. Oh, it's a ghost! They started hauling ass down there to see who's down there. Mm-hmm. Well, they couldn't find anybody. Blah blah blah. And when they got to doing the evidence in the end, they sat there and they looked at it. And it did. It looked like somebody in period military wear. And does it prove there's a ghost? No. What it proves is one of two things. Either A, there was a ghost down there that, got, that, that they caught. Or B, there was somebody down there in in garb and they move a lot faster than they do. And that's what they'll tell you too. Right. But it's one of those things where, you know, everybody's accounted for. Everybody in the group is accounted for. The place is shut down. It doesn't prove a ghost, but it leans more towards the fact that this could be a ghost. Right. Now, that's going to be something different from what we talked about earlier with the laser thermometer, because the laser thermometer, basically, it's a point-and-shoot, and and you are able to tell at that spot, this is what the temperature is. Whereas the thermal imaging camera gives you, to go back to what we mentioned earlier, that you and I are both 
pen and pe- or pencil and paper gamers, it's the old description of uh, thermal vision. Yeah. You you see instead of seeing in light and shadow and the colors, you're seeing in bands of heat. Right. Where if something is warmer, it's more red. Something is cooler, it's more blue. Right. To the point of black. Right. They're useful. I don't think they are the device that will tell you if there's a ghost there or not. I think they're useful in the fact that, you know, they're they're kind of neat. You can see things like, um, I've seen investigations where they're doing them out, you know, uh, they did a, an investigation at Gettysburg. Okay. So you're out there, you know, and it's kind of nice to have that thing because what if all of a sudden there's a bobcat? You know, you don't want to be walking in there when it could be that, you know. Now, granted, they're looking for ghosts, but as a person, as a, as a guy that's gone ghost hunting, and I've never done an outdoor investigation, but if I did, I would want to know where the critters are. Right. Well, so, not only that, from a debunking perspective, you want to know where, you the, critters want to know where the critters are. Right. So the last piece of equipment I want to talk about is the um, full, or, I'm sorry, the spirit boxes. Are you familiar with what a spirit box is? I am not. I'm thinking it's not the box that the Ouija board comes in. No. Okay. So it's an electronic device, and it depends on how much you want to pay for them. They scan anywhere from uh, 38 to, I think, 128 channels a second. Okay. Now, and, like radio frequency yes. channels? Okay. Yep. And in those channels, it creates this entire, this big um, strike of, uh, of uh, static. And using these spirit boxes, you can communicate with spirits through this this box if it finds an answer you know you can follow it it'll it'll follow through a certain amount of bands and the stronger the entity is the more bands it will follow you through okay is the theory i have seen this used it's really annoying because it's it's blasting out static okay you know it's blasting constant white noise but i have i have seen them use and i have seen them not just put words out there but answer questions and you know the the people that are not fans of the spirit box will say, well, you're you're going through these radio frequencies, so you know maybe you're picking up. It's like it's, but it's not. You're not picking up radio frequencies. The 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 distance this box has is very minimal. It's within like a ten foot radius or something. Okay, because the way you were describing it, the first thing that pops into my head is not necessarily are you picking up local radio stations. Are you picking up ham radio operators? Right, and they they combat that by the the distance. Okay. That that it's you know allowed to use, you know, and I've seen some pretty impressive responses through these things. But then again, I've seen them used on ghost adventurers. What can you believe? Exactly. That can be kind of a drawback to things like that. With ghost hunters, they present themselves in very upfront manner they they say they're approaching it from debunking their demeanor and what they restrict themselves to saying kind of lends them a credibility that perhaps a show like ghost adventurer where everything is so over the top might actually be hurting actual investigations and the pursuit of actual scientific evidence oh yeah i i've read stuff where if anybody else that's in this business and does this and ghost adventures is a redheaded stepchild everybody's like oh those guys you know it's just like uh i don't know if you've seen the new ghostbusters movie yet or not yes but you know where they're talking about oh those guys they're the ones that give us all a bad name yes. kind of thing so you know there's that but i did want to talk about those so we're through that so what else you got scott well as a you know i've been kind of a fan of this for most of my life yep as you also know i'm a fan of the uh regrettably late British author Terry Pratchett. Yep, absolutely. Now, 
Before he passed away, he collaborated with a pair of professors at Oxford University to do a series of four books called The Science of Discworld. Okay. And it, it's really interesting. It's kind of a blending of fact and fiction where basically the two scientists have been writing nonfiction books trying to explain scientific theories and everything to the average person. And they collaborated with Terry Pratchett to say, okay, here's what we want to talk about. Can you write us a story that'll help us explain it? Oh, okay. And then they alternate chapters in the books between the scientific material and explaining the history and facts and methodology behind it with chapters of the original story that Pratchett wrote to kind of help get it through. Okay. And in one of them, I ran across a reference to a mathematician from England during the Victorian era. Okay. His name was Charles Howard Hinton. All right. And what I found interesting about him was that around about the 1880s in London, it was um, the height of fashion for uh, gentlemen and, oddly enough, especially for clergy, to be scientists. Okay. To, to have some type of scientific interest. Well, by 1880, they were no longer Roman Catholics. Correct. They were Anglican. They, they were Anglican. This particular science of Discworld is focused on Darwin and the theory of evolution. Okay. And what a lot of people don't remember about Darwin is that he was actually a village curate. He, he was from a, a social strata family that he was expected to go into the church. Okay. But because he was expected to go into the church, he was expected to be a scientist as well and to contribute to um, scientific learning and everything, which was what led him to make his voyage to the Galapagos. Okay. One of the other fashions at the time was the recently discovered fourth dimension. Everybody knew about the three dimensions, length, width, height, etc. And... Some other scientists of the era had postulated that time was actually the fourth dimension, that you had the regular three dimensions of physical space, but then you had its impact in time, giving it that fourth dimension. And Hinton, in 1880, wrote a paper called What is the Fourth Dimension? And in it, he actually mentions ghosts. Okay. And his theory was that the sightings of ghosts, because if you read Victorian literature... Um, Most people think of Victorian and Gothic. They think of Dracula. They think of Frankenstein. A lot of these short stories were ghost stories. Okay. And what he thought was that those ghost sightings and the ghosts were actually people who had slipped along the fourth dimension. And so they, they had moved slightly out of time, which was why sometimes they could walk through walls, because in their time, that wall's not there. And it was actually so popular, it caught on so well, that in 1884, he wrote a second paper entitled Ghosts Explained. Okay. And he put forward this whole theory that it was all to do with the fourth dimension. It was simply time. And the reason that some people saw them and other people didn't was that some people were more attuned to the thinner places where time slipped. Okay. So, that's, a, that's, um, an, that's an interesting theory, and it would explain why people are in different dress than you are and mm-hmm. things like that. I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. I want to talk a little bit more about kids and ghosts and the whole theory of them not being, not having the concept of, of not knowing that ghosts exist. Uh, you know, one of the theories is that 
Invisible Friends. Right. One of the stories is, you know, it's it's just that the kids, you know, they, they fight with somebody that you don't see. These kind of things. I actually think if you go at it from the from the, the understanding that yes, uh, ghosts are real, okay, right. we got it, from that from that standpoint, then you can say that makes perfect sense. My question always is: is it always seems that invisible friends are the same age as the child, you know, and they seem to grow with the child if your kid keeps the invisible friend long enough? Okay. Is there a correlation to that, or are they just invisible friends? That's a really good question. I know my daughter, who um, will be turning seven towards the end of February, has... I wouldn't consider them to be traditional invisible friends. Okay. Because even when she started talking about them when she was about four, she would explain, it's just someone I made up. They're not really there. Okay. So even though we've never explicitly told her ghosts are real or ghosts aren't real we've simply never talked about ghosts right and part of that is because have you seen the minions movie yes yeah we had to leave the minions movie about 10 minutes into it because she thought it was too scary my daughter finds almost anything scary so if we start talking about ghosts she's not sleeping again for another 10 years right right okay fair enough (laughs) she's read some stories at school that have nice ghosts in them a la casper Casper and whatnot. She knows about them in concept, but she's never claimed to have seen one or claimed that her invisible friend is real, but only she can see her. Right. She's very, always very explicitly telling us, it's something I made up, it's not really real. I just like pretending. So, now, did your daughters have invisible friends? Or at least that they told you about? You know, I think about it, and they did, I mean, but it was never anything, it was like... Well, I have this invisible friend, and then two days later, they didn't have an invisible friend. So it was never a a long-stretching thing. So in that case, I would say they obviously just made it up for whatever reason. You know, one was mad at the other, so now I have an invisible friend, and I don't have to deal with the other one kind of thing. But no, nothing ever, ever long-lasting. But one of the stories I'm going to tell kind of has something to do with that. Okay. So, but we'll get to that uh, here in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about what you got your hands on. What do I have my hands on? What do you have your hands on? (laughs) As we've mentioned a couple of times, and anybody who knows us knows this, it's a game. It is a game. Look at that. And it's called The Three Pillars, and the subtitle on it is A Paranormal Card Game. Now, you and I picked this up in Madison back in November at GameholeCon. Yes, we did. And we actually had the privilege and a lot of fun playing the people who invented it. Yeah, two two of the guys that uh, that uh, were there play with them. I'm trying to remember their names here. I know one was uh, Brian and the other one. So, anyways, these guys aren't normally game designers. Nope, they're actually paranormal, paranormal investigators. investigators, and I believe they're out of New York. Uh, yes. And so their entire group had been investigating for a fair while, and they decided that it would be kind of fun and interesting to make a game out of it. And they decided that since they know what they're talking about and they've been doing it, they made the game about themselves and put themselves and their entire team in the game. Yeah, which is kind of neat. It was was kind of weird sitting across from, uh, I I played Brian, you played Chris. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of weird sitting across from the guy who built the game. And whose face is on the card you're it's, playing. It's on the card you're playing. And then, but 
you know, the, the fun part of that was, I don't know how your game ended up, but I kicked Brian's ass. <laughs> uh, yes, poor Chris was on the receiving end of what had to be the luckiest draw of denial cards that either of us had ever seen. <laughs> I had, I believe I had started my third case before I ran out of denial cards and he could start his first one. Oh, ouch. Yes. So basically, it's a card building game. It's a deck building game, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You start the game, there's, uh, I think it's three different, yeah, three different investigations you have to do. Right. And you do these investigations through playing cards that have a certain value on them towards your goal of whatever you need to solve the case. Or to at least get enough evidence to move on to the next case. As far as the play of the game, it's pretty similar to any other deck building game you want to play. I just, I was, I had seen it at GameholeCon the year before. Didn't have a chance to sit down and talk to the guys or, or look at the game. And then this year, I'm like, I'm trying that one. And Scott was kind of like, I'll try it too. Yep. But it turned out to be, it's it's a good game. It's well put together. There are expansions, which I plan on picking up this coming year when we go. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's just really kind of cool. It's, it's a neat game. So um, One of the things I really liked about it was actually where they got the name from, the three pillars. When you play the game, you have three different people that you, you take for various points. One of them is the scientist. One of them is the skeptic. And the, the third one is probably the one that I was the most leery about in terms of the scientific backing of it or the the reliability of it. I mean, in terms of the game, it's fine. Right. But And that was the psychic. So so actually, that's that's a good partner topic here. What, what do you think of psychics? I think the first thing is that you need to define what you mean by psychic. Now, to me, a psychic is someone who generally has some type of perception or connection to the world beyond what normal people have. Okay. A lot of people think psychics are ESP, extrasensory perception. And there has been a lot of research and documentation on things like uh, clairvoyance, clairaudience, like being able to see or hear things that are at a distance right. from you. Well, the government has had projects in the past trying to do that to use that for spying purposes. Right. I mean, it's... Not just ours. No, no, not just ours. Absolutely not. In fact, Russia had a huge program um, that we know about now after, you know, after the wall fell. That was a long time ago. Um, yes. But anyway, you know, the things you learn as as these things come out, that's actually a really good explanation of what a psychic is. Now, is there a difference between what you would call a psychic and, do you remember back in the 90s, like Miss Cleo and... Oh, the Psychic Friends Network. Yeah, you know, and all the... Dionne Warwick and yeah, all Yeah, all those, um, you know, where you know, you call, you pay them an extraordinary amount of money, and they do a Google search on you, I'm pretty sure. Well, <laughs> at the time, I don't think Google was around. Well, Google wasn't around, but... But my, my biggest beef with that was, if you're the psychic, why don't you know who's calling and why? And why don't you already <laughs> know my credit card number? Right. Although I'm glad they don't, because I'm sure they'd run up quite a bill. Like everything, you know, is there the possibility that psychics are, that there are psychics? Sure. Were Miss Cleo or, or Dion Warwick or any of these people psychic? No. I would, I would almost lay money that not one of them was psychic. Other than the fact that they were able to take your money and they knew they were frauds. So maybe that's how they were psychic. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, there was a big push for that kind of stuff. Um, you go back to the the nineteen the nineteen teens and the nineteen twenties. They called it spiritualism, right? But it was huge, and it was all based around the fact that a medium could come into your house, and you through the medium you could talk to your deceased relative or friend or whatever. And it was the same deal. You paid them a lot of money in the day. You know, it might have been five bucks or something to have this medium come to your house. Or in a lot of cases, you would go to a medium's parlor, right? which already had all the tricks set up so mm-hmm. they didn't have to fake anything. Well, more than they would. Yes. They um, didn't have to improvise. They had the ropes that ran to the table to make it dance around. Right. Yeah. They had the flat, the old-fashioned photography flash bulbs that would strobe. Yeah, and, and then it. they had, there was some of them that really got into it, and they had something they'd called phantasmal, what was it, it was fanta- but it was a type of slime. Okay. And so after the medium was done talking, this slime would appear. It would appear on the table and, you know, on the window or whatever they were using so you could see your loved one. It was, I mean, they were pretty into this, and people really got into this. And the downfall of spiritualism actually comes around from somebody who's famous for something completely different. And that is Harry Houdini. From Appleton, I from, believe. Yeah, well, he was he was actually born not in Appleton, but he grew up in Appleton. Okay. He was actually born in Europe somewhere. He grew up in he grew up in Appleton. Once he became famous and he was seeing all this stuff with spiritualism going on, he didn't like it. He thought it was fake. He thought it wasn't the real thing. So he started debunking these things and he would go um, to different readings and stuff and he would be like, you know, hey, look under the table, there's the cord, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. He debunked a lot of people. And he uh, eventually dies. He had made a deal with his daughter that on a certain day, and it was October thirty first, it's Halloween. Right. That she was to do a seance. And if during this seance Harry came through, he would say a certain phrase. Which still nobody knows what that phrase is. She she took it to her she took it to her grave. But on October thirty first of every year of her life until she died, she did a seance. And Harry never showed up. Go figure. so um you know and that's really what started bringing down the spiritualism because then harry started debunking then other people started debunking and that's really what shoved this whole science of ghosts and the afterlife under the carpet and made it kind of that taboo thing for a long time is because the forerunners of people that did this 99 percent of them were false they were phonies i mean were there real ones out there possibly the same way I say, are there ghosts out there? Possibly. Right. We just don't have enough evidence. Right. So with that, let's uh, let's see. We're getting here. Yeah, we're moving uh, right at an hour here. So let's get into these personal stories because we both have personal stories. Yes. That may or may not be ghosts. I'll start with the one I kind of teased. So with the invisible friend one, but it, it's not really an invisible friend. So when my oldest daughter was born, we lived in a split level ranch. Her room was in the basement, our room was upstairs, and we had baby monitors, you know. Um, Not the stuff they have today where you can see the kid and, you know, see what color their poo is from your bedroom, but, you know, nice baby monitors. Mm -hmm. Um, Every once in a while, we would hear a different voice coming through her monitor. Okay. And at first, we wrote it off as, you know, interference because baby monitors are well known for picking stuff up. Right. And then, at one point, I heard... The voice, and it wasn't Molly or Emma's, I listened and I didn't hear anything else. So I walked downstairs. She is out cold, okay? So I'm like, 
Alright, so this is kind of weird. And it kept happening. And as, Ma, as Emma got older, the voice that we would hear on occasion, it wasn't all the time, it wasn't every day or anything like that, got older as well. And then there was times Emma still wasn't speaking, but she was babbling. She was in that, you know. Right. And so she would lay her down for a nap or whatever, and she'd babble for a little while or whatever. And then it started to be where she would babble, and then she'd stop, and there'd be silence. And then she'd babble, and then there would be a response of babbling that wasn't her voice. She's 18 months old. She's not throwing her voice yet. So that one was always kind of creepy. Never saw anything, never felt anything. Emma, you know, never said to us, you know, Mommy, Daddy, you know, Joni's here or whatever. Right. It just was one of those things, and we couldn't debunk what was going on. Because when you catch something from outside on the baby monitor, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, even though that's what we kind of at first were like, yeah, it's just interference kind of thing. That's my first story. Why don't you take one? Okay. Um, mine actually goes back to Rippin. Okay. Um, not in the graveyard, but nearby. Oh, so it wasn't nearby. Freddy? No, it wasn't Freddy. Okay. Um, and... It's one of those that it seems like almost any small town has one of these stories. This one, a lot of times you'll hear a reference to a woman in white. In Hispanic mythology, she's usually referred to as La Llorona, the crying woman. Okay. But in this case, there is a story, and it's from Fond du Lac County, and it's old enough that... Even when I heard about it and I saw what I thought I saw and I looked into it, I couldn't find any record one way or the other to either confirm the historical fact that I was informed of or to disprove the historical fact. Right, okay. Basically, I think, me personally, I saw it twice over a three-year span. Okay. Other people had reported seeing it to the the tune of, I think... Because one of the professors at Ripon actually looked into, like, was studying paranormal activity and everything, and so he was documenting all the stories and stuff. And at one point, he had recorded something like 500 sightings of this same apparition over about maybe a hundred year span. Okay. And... That was basically as far back as he was able to find records of it. And the, the story was that there was a young bride in town in the early 1800s. She was getting ready to go to the church to be married, and she was getting into the carriage at the top of a fairly steep hill, and something spooked the horses. Okay. And so the horses took off down the hill with her in the carriage, but nobody else because her father had been helping her into the carriage. And the carriage gets to the bottom of the hill. There's woods and a stream. The horses go in. Carriage crashes, and she's killed. Okay. So what I saw was what seemed to me, and this, I think the closest I ever got to it was maybe 50, 60 feet away. Okay. So I I wasn't up close. I never interacted with it. I never heard her say anything. But I saw what looked to be a young woman wearing white walking a little bit down the hill, and she got maybe from the time I saw her to when she just kind of dissipated was maybe 10 or 15 yards. Okay. So I didn't see the carriage. I didn't see her get up into the carriage and then the horses take off. I just kind of saw her, like I I caught it out of the corner of my eye and and turned, and she walked a little bit and disappeared. And that seems to be what everybody who has claimed to see her saw. And that's pretty common with sightings of apparitions. 
It's like when they realize they're being watched, they go away. Now, I've heard from various sources that one of the types of hauntings, if you will, is kind of like a broken record. Yeah, it's, it's just it's kind of like a residual haunt. Okay. That it's basically they just repeat the same action over and over again. They're not aware of their surroundings. It's almost like you're watching a DVD on a loop. Right. What it is, what what residual hauntings really come down to is there was a energy mark made in a place and at a time. So a lot of these things will repeat on a certain day or a certain time of day. Or, you know, there's a story in, of one of the castles in, in England where every year on a certain date, you can watch a woman running down one of the hallways and being followed by a guy with a knife, and he catches her and he kills her, and it does that once a year, every year, supposedly. And you can, it's like, supposedly you can go and watch it, you know. But yeah, that's what a residual haunt is. There's no intelligence behind it. It's not even, I wouldn't even, residual haunts I wouldn't even classify as ghosts. They're just energy marks. Okay. So, in my opinion, so... But that's what you're talking about. So you saw her out of the corner of your eye. She dissipated. You saw her twice. Now, did you see her in the same space both times? Or same spot. Same spot. Okay, yeah. So that's most likely a residual. Let's see. My next one, I was um, I was ghost hunting. And we had been called to a house where there was a little boy who was talking about talking to a certain person. He would, he would, and then they would catch him at night. He'd be sitting up in his bed or standing up in his bed talking to somebody. And they couldn't figure it out. So they called us in. And like most ghost hunting groups, you know, we don't charge a fee. They don't, they didn't do anything like that. So we went down there. We drove down there and we started investigating. It was a small house. There was four of us and four of us. I mean, it was, four of us really kind of filled the place up, you know, as far as with our equipment and stuff. So we're in there and we set up a camera in the boy's room and he went to sleep and we, uh, you know, we did EVPs and we did that kind of stuff. And they had one of these houses where they don't really have a basement. They have a root cellar. Okay. The rest of the house was actually off the ground, probably six, eight inches. Okay. So we went outside at one point and we're taking pictures underneath the uh, house, you know, and stuff. And. Um, have you ever heard of a, a vortex, a spiritual vortex? I think so, yeah. Okay, so we captured one of those on film. Um, we took a picture of one, and it was right under this kid's bedroom. It was, it was when we started piecing things together, it was really kind of weird. So at one point, we're done doing our investigation, other than we're letting the camera run, and we're watching the kid on the TV in the living room. We hooked it up to their TV, and we're watching as he's sleeping. And it must have been 11.30, quarter 12 at night. He sits up in bed. And he, and he turns right towards the door. He starts talking, you know, and we're kind of we're watching. And at the same time, I get this feeling like somebody is standing. The way this house was set up, his bedroom, the couch we were sitting on went right up against the side of his wall of his bedroom. Okay. It felt like behind me and at the end of the couch, like right outside his door, somebody was there. And I kind of look over my shoulder and there's nobody standing there, you know, but I keep it at this point. I'm like. I'm holding on to this one. We'll talk about it on the way back. And so we watched him, and after like 15, 20 minutes, he laid back down went back to sleep. We uh, we collect all our stuff, and we leave, and we're on the way back. And I said, did anybody else, and one of the other ladies that was there looks at me and goes, feel the woman standing outside his door? And I'm like, yeah. You could tell. It was re- it was really weird because you could feel the uh, there was something there. I'm not going to say it was a ghost, but it was something there. It felt female, because like I said, didn't see anything. Right. Felt like it was nurturing, like it was 
watching over, you know, not so much as a I'm watching you kind of creepy thing, but like like a watching over the boy. Kind okay. Of and it was just really weird to have that verification, you know, just like I didn't even finish what I was saying. And she's like, yes, there was a woman standing outside his door. That was one of the really creepy ones. And like I said, we caught that vortex under where his bedroom would be. And it was just, but there was nothing about that. And I say this in air quotes, nothing about that haunt that felt bad. Right. It didn't seem to be threatening. Right. At all. In, in any way. Like, it knew we were there. It knew the boy was there. It knew, you know, that we meant the boy no harm. We were trying to help him kind of thing. Part of me thinks that's why she showed up when she did. To let us know that she was there and that she wasn't trying to do anything bad. You know, and we did our report and we reported back to the people. And, you know, they're like, and we're like, you know, if you want to get rid of it, you know, we got people you can call, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, if it's not an issue. And that's the last I'd heard about that one. So do you have another one? I do. And this one actually goes back to our earlier discussion about animals. Okay. Um, as you know, I'm a huge animal lover. At current time, I have two dogs, three cats, and a goldfish in my house. However, a few years back, I only had two cats and two dogs. And one of the cats um, ended up being injured while we were cat-sitting for friends of my wife's. Okay. And she ended up throwing a clot, and we had to have her put to sleep. So for several weeks afterwards, our other cat would wander around the house in the middle of the night meowing. And he'd done it occasionally before our other cat had died, but it, and it was usually the two of them would meow back and forth. Okay. It's like if one's up at the front of the house, the other's at the back of the house, they're like, hey, where are you? I'm over here. Okay. And then they'd right. meet, meet up in the and do whatever. Right. And so I kind of jokingly told my wife that, oh, he's still talking to the other cat. And then this one night, I'm woken up by meowing, and I'm like, what is he doing? And I sit up, and I realize that the meowing that I'm still hearing is coming from the front of the house, and our still-living cat, who is on the bed next to me, is sitting up, and his ears are perked up, and he's not meowing. He's not the source of the meowing. Oh. And then it, it went on, and I could actually hear a change in tone as if it were coming closer. And then our living cat hopped down off the bed, meowed, went out of the room, and I didn't hear the other meowing anymore. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories of where, you know, pets, if they're bonded to their owners or bonded to other animals, will do things like that, where they'll stick around. The last story I'm going to tell is um, probably the scariest story I... I've got, I mean, I've got more stories than these three, but I was, again, with this group ghost hunting here in town, and uh, we went to uh, an old theater downtown that was going to be renovated. Actually, it was when I went, it was like the third time the group went, but when I went, it was actually amidst the renovations. They were going to turn it into a nightclub. Okay. Which they did eventually. It took them a lot of years to do it. We went in there, and we were going to do an uh, investigation. They had been there before, and they had caught certain things in conjunction with... Were you familiar with the Rogers Theater at all? There was the main level. There was there was two theaters oh, the one the main... by the highway and the county market? No, the one oh, no, that was a market. downtown okay. by the mall. Okay, then no. So when you went in, there was two theaters on the main level. 
You went upstairs. There was two theaters upstairs, and then there was one in the basement. Okay. You know, and there's stories. At one time, this thing, this this building, uh, this building's been in Wasa for a long time. It was a it was a mortuary. It was an auto repair shop. It was uh, reportedly a house of ill repute. Okay. So it's through its life, it's been a lot of things. We went in there, and um, when they had been on other ones, they had said, you know, upstairs in one of the theaters. They had caught a the voice of a woman singing, and I've, I've heard the EVP. And at that same time, three of the five uh, seats in the front row just started rocking. Okay. So we were going back to see if we could duplicate that or, you know, catch it again. And they had caught other stuff, and uh, there's actually, it's kind of neat. When you'd go down in the basement, there was a small theater down there. There was a walkway that went between the uh, storage area they had down there, and then they had the room where the uh, projector sat. And there was a small walkway that went to another walkway that went out and went under the stages of the front of the house. Okay. And they, they had stuff back there, too. We went back there, and there was, like, old marquee letters and, you know, that kind of stuff stored in there. So we're doing this, and um, at one point, we decide that we're going to sit down in this small theater in the basement. I sat on the stage. Um, one of the other the investigators sat next to me. And then there was an investigator out here that was kind of standing still. And then Sean was kind of walking around. And at this point, there were no seats anymore, but there were the little nuts, the nub from right. the nuts sticking up. So, you know, and he's walking around, and um, as you listen to the, the recorder, I had caught something out of the corner of my eye, something moving the shadows. I didn't know. I, you know, at that point, I didn't know. I didn't think about it. I pointed. I said, did you guys see that? <laughs> you know, it's pitch black in there. There's no right. lights on. I knew it wasn't Sean because he was carrying the... Uh, the recorder, and he was over the, the other direction. So he was off to my left, and I'm pointing to my right. And they're like, why? What did you see? And I said, something something in that corner moved. And then Sean catches his toe on one of those nubs. Right. And he almost falls, but he, he manages not to fall. And he said something, and he goes, man, that would have sucked if I'd have fallen and uh, hit my head or something like that. And we caught the creepiest EVP ever. He said, yeah, Sean, that'd be cool. <laughs> so... Of course, we didn't hear that at the time. Right. Right. A little bit of time passes, and I'm sitting on the on the stage, and all of a sudden, I can't breathe. I mean, I'm like I'm like straining to breathe, and I can't figure it out, and I'm just like, and I'm cold. Now, it was in the basement. It wasn't the warmest place in the world, but I mean, I got cold and, you know, goosebumps and the whole works, and I just, and I said, guys, I got to get out of here. So, we all get up, you know, and we flip on the flashlights, whatever. We go outside. The minute I cross the threshold out of that place... Mm-hmm. I could breathe fine. It was the creepiest thing. And so we're standing out in the parking lot and we're talking. And they're trying to get me to go back in. And I don't want to go back in. Now, you're not generally claustrophobic. No, I'm not claustrophobic at all. Okay. They're trying to get me to go back in. And every time I would start towards the building, I could feel whatever was there looking at me. You know, that Mm -hmm. that feeling of being watched. Right. And I couldn't. I tried for... Almost two hours. I could not get myself to walk back in there. I have not. I was not in there when it was a nightclub. I was not in there uh, when uh, when it's now a church. I just. I don't. I just. I will never go in that building again because that was one of the scariest things I have ever dealt with in my life. You know, for a long time, I wouldn't even drive in that area. I would avoid that corner area where that that building is just because I didn't want to just nothing to do with it. You know, you didn't want to attract its attention. Right, right. Exactly. You know, that was the one time I've ever done this that, uh, I felt like 
you know, am I taking something home with me? You know, kind of things. So, you know, ghost hunting's fun, for lack of a better word, but it can get a little creepy, too, sometimes. Oh, yeah. And now, and like I said when I talked to Sean a few days later, I said, you know, it could have been the environment. I could have psyched myself out. I could have, you know, there's all these possibilities. So, was I attacked by a, a spirit or an entity? I don't know. But I'm not going back in there to find out kind right. of thing, you yeah. know? Well, they do say discretion is the better part of valor. I, they also know, say don't poke the bear. Well, I haven't poked you yet. <laughs> so you got one more to, to round this out? I do not. I, I think we're going to leave it with that one because right. I, I agree. That's pretty creepy. Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, there will be a link to an email in the uh, in the show notes. Um, I haven't set the email up yet, but we'll have a link in there. If you like what you hear, give us a, drop us a line. Give us a topic. We'll, we'll look at any topic. Um, yeah. If you've got something that... Uh, you think other people would like to know about or something that you've always been interested in, let us know. We'll look into it. Yeah, so this is not a ghost podcast, just so everybody's aware. This is, We're not going to do ghosts every week. Nope. Um, every I, month. Every month. But uh, we will, uh, we will uh, definitely um, come back next month with uh, another neat and interesting topic. So until then, thanks for listening. Have a good one.